Welcome to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. I'm Diane Hullett, and today I've got an interesting conversation with Shannon Lee Doughty. Shannon is the author of American Afterlives, Reinventing Death in the 21st Century. She's an anthropologist and a professor at the University of Chicago. She's been funded by the MacArthur Foundation and the National Science Foundation. And you can find out more about her at the University of Chicago's website or shannonleedotty.com. Dotty is D-A-W-D-Y. She's also worked on a film that is in conjunction with the book, American Afterlives. And the film is called I Like Dirt. You can find out more about that at ilikedirtfilm.com. So welcome, Shannon. I'm so delighted to have you on the Best Life, Best Death podcast today. Uh, As I said in the introduction, Shannon is the author of American Afterlives, Reinventing Death in the 21st Century. So welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. I guess I came across your book because one of my colleagues who's a death doula mentioned it. She somehow sent out an email and it just really caught my eye because I think this idea of what is the background of what we're choosing um, in body disposition as a culture is, is fascinating to me. It's kind of the big picture look at what we do. Tell us, how, how did you get into this? How did this book get its start? Well, I mean, it is a personal story, and I think actually if you um, scratch the surface of most um, researchers uh, and writers, there's a, a personal backstory. I, um, I I lost a number of people in a pretty short period, relatively speaking, um, between 2008 and 2013, um, family members and, um, and uh, close love, loved ones. And each death was different and was... Um, in terms of how it impacted me and how uh, it was handled um, and how um, uh, uh, individuals were commemorated. But I learned a lot um, about what was going on uh, in terms of um, death practices, both and, uh, and also just getting a grasp of what had become somewhat traditional as well. And after a few years, um, you know, this happened to me after um, going through Hurricane Katrina, too. Um, My earlier work is based in New Orleans, um, and that was a quite devastating experience. But um, researching and understanding things is a way for me to process. So um, after I finished my last book, which dealt with Katrina, I uh, I wanted to work on, I wanted to understand what was happening with American death practices because I noticed there were a lot of changes going on and um, and there were things that really intrigued me about it um, as an archaeologist. And when I was ready, I decided to start researching and, and figuring it out and uh, quickly realized I had stumbled into uh, a phenomenon that was very rapidly changing and that very few people had taken a close look at. Fascinating. Yeah, I love sort of at the end, you come back to the, the, the kind of statement you make at the beginning and you simply say the mortuary practices can be read of symptoms. I'm sorry, I said that funny. Mortuary practices can be read as symptoms of deeper social currents. And I just think that's intriguing. One of the comments you make, I think, in the introduction is you say that cremation increased dramatically after 9-11, for example. And how fascinating that there are these changes 
um, systemically, which we experience as personal individual grieving. And yet there's this whole cultural shift. I think of right now, you know, with Desmond Tutu's passing, and then he chose aquamation. Well, suddenly aquamation is on people's radar in a way that it was not before. So we have these cultural moments where things begin to shift. And as an anthropologist, you're looking at that from a big level. What, what kind of generalizations would you make about where we are as a society currently? Well, I, I would characterize this um, period in the U.S. as one of um, rapid experimentation and an opening of possibilities of cross-cultural exchange, borrowing ideas from, um, from immigrants, um, from um, societies around the world, uh, and uh, sort of an anything-goes culture. Um, and where it's going to settle out for a while, I think, is an open question if it settles out, but I expect it probably will after a generation or so. Um, there is a, uh, an anthropological idea um, called heterodoxy, which is kind of the opposite of orthodoxy, uh, where um, uh, there's an opening up um, uh, and there's not no one way proper way of doing things. And I think this is uh, where we're at. So cremation and what you do with the cremation remains is very open and experimental as I explore in the book. Uh, green burial is on a rapid, rapid rise uh, and I expect it to keep going. Um, but yeah, um, hydrolysis uh, is a, an option that's increasing, um, you know, but also, um, people who really want to um, have uh, the body present, whether embalmed or through DIY and home burial or home um, funerals, rather, um, those also are, are increasing. So it's not that the body needs to be absent or done away with, but how people are relating to um, uh, the dece deceased is what's really changing. Right, right. You talk about that. You say you, we can learn a lot by what we do with corpses. I just thought it was, it's so interesting. You also make a comment early on in the book that the more you've kind of looked into the history and practices of American death rituals, that, you know, the more you question these two ideas that have taken a lot of traction. So there's kind of traction around this idea, number one, that we're kind of a death denying culture. And number two, that somehow the death positive movement is new. And, and you're, you kind of, you're like, I don't know that either of those are really accurate and they sort of have popular traction. What would you say about either of those? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I, I was ready to believe both of those um, propositions early on, but through by talking to, you know, hundreds of people across the U.S. over five years and looking at um, what was really going on, I, uh, at least according to me, uh, I realized that um, there's a lot of death acceptance. I mean, I think that our experience with the COVID-19 pandemic kind of shows this, uh, that people are willing to accept um, a, a high death rate, um, uh, our violence rate in the U.S., um, uh, mass shootings, but also uh, murder rate is among the highest in the developed world. And most Americans seem to be okay with that. Um, that's a very simple way to say that um, death is okay, or at least the death of others, the death of other people, which is a very different proposition than our own deaths, um, which is, um, you know, something that anthropologists, I think, um, 
uh, have just have on and off um, attended to, um, but I think it's um, uh, one of the ways in which we misunderstand what's happening on the cultural level in terms of the relationship to death. Um, and um, so what I found is that um, really the critiques of what had become the traditional American um, funeral rite, uh, the embalmed body, the open casket, um, turning things over to a professional um, uh, funeral director, uh, very um, that really became formalized in the 1880s and dominant by World War One. And one of the really interesting things about the American death ritual, as it was in the 20th century, is that almost regardless of religious background or um, <clears throat> ethnic uh, heritage, at, at, at its peak uh, around 1960, 95% of Americans, regardless of those other factors, uh, chose this kind of funeral ritual. That's and, really high, 95% in the 1960s. Yeah. Wow. So that's an extraordinary national pattern, which sort of reinforces that there is such a thing as national patterns, even right. in a super diverse societies such as our own. Um, and, but the other thing that was true throughout the 20th century is that uh, Europeans and particularly British writers noticed this death ritual and found it very strange. And they were the ones who started to um, mix it up with, I'm thinking of Evelyn Waugh um, uh, in particular, uh, but also Jessica Midford, um, a very important figure in the kind of awareness and critique of American death culture. Um, and they started to mix it up with other critiques of American culture, such as the kind of um, uh, fakeness of Hollywood or the kind of um, <clears throat> unrealistic optimism uh, of uh, uh, American culture. And they were reading the death ritual, the embalming and open casket death ritual uh, as uh, something that uh, was fake, that was a denial of death. And so they're the ones who really started that narrative. It wasn't from Americans themselves. This was not their reading of what the ritual is about. So interesting, right? So they kind of put this label on it that maybe didn't actually fit the experience of people who were choosing that and, and as a society really mostly doing that. Right. I mean, to, to put it very simply, what I realized is when you go to uh, a viewing or a visitation with an open casket and um, the embalmed body or unembalmed, doesn't have to be embalmed, you are literally looking death in the face. How is that death denying compared to what happened in the UK was a quick, um, a, a very quick uh, adoption of cremation where the corpse um, is whisked away, nobody sees it, and you have a very modest, simple ceremony, uh, and you do not dwell on that transition period uh, between uh, um, uh, death and, um, and uh, mourning. And there's a big um, uh, self-criticism um, or awareness on the part of um, English writers of don't make a fuss. So 
one of the discomforts with American death rituals is there's too much fuss, too much emotional showiness. And, you know, I, I think that gradually this has been incorporated into American culture. A lot of people that I um, talk to say they don't want any fuss. They don't want a big to-do. It's seen as a waste. It's seen as vulgar. Um, but I, I, I think that that's really a discomfort with public mourning, public grief. Right, right. You, you have a great comment, too, where you... You, you say, well, death denial is perhaps overstated. It's not wrong to say that Americans suffer from a profound social awkwardness around death, not knowing what to say, not knowing what to do, um, that sense of like, oh, am I really publicly grieving? And what does that mean? So yeah, what would you say to people around that? Yeah, I think that, I mean, I think that uh, we're moving um, gradually, um, interestingly, I think social media has um, and 9/11 uh, memorials um, really were um, very important for um, making public grief possible again um, uh, and uh, and acceptable. It's no longer taboo to show uh, grief. Or, uh, you know, I think. What's still touchy is this idea um, that really comes out of psychoanalysis too, and Freud um, is to blame for a, a lot of this, uh, or an uptake of Freud that might have been um, uh, not well considered, which is um, to think that it's a kind of illness to grieve, that it's pathological. And so there's been a lot of pressure on people to speed up grief. Yes, and yes. shaming of people who um, are grieving uh, because it's quote unquote not healthy, and and for a long time I think all that did was move it underground, and now to use an archaeological metaphor, it's coming very much above ground and being shown as natural. Where it's still touchy is the idea that there's a uh, a timeline when you should no longer be grieving or a confusion about having a relationship to the dead um, is necessarily one of grief. Like there can be other sorts of much more positive um, relations um, with uh, the dead than one of grief uh, once you get th through the initial um, shock. Right. Interesting. And that's and that's one that our society doesn't necessarily some portions of it don't quite know how to embrace, which kind of goes along with, uh, you know, this piece you 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 say, and I thought this was so articulate, you, you going back to this death denying idea, you say, I don't know that we're death denying, but I think we're quite grief denying. And so, as you said, it goes underground. And how does that move? How does that um, shift inside us so that there can be this relationship with the dead that has to do with memories and experiences and conversations and awareness that isn't just grief, but a new stage. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, one of the things I discovered uh, when you scratch the surface, there are actually a lot of Americans, um, almost as many Americans believe in ghosts um, seriously than um, believe it, uh, or follow an organized religion. And I think we tend to be kind of dismissive of that um, uh, as, as if it's an insincere belief or fringe belief, but it's actually 
quite mainstream, um, something like 45%, uh, I want to say, um, from a Pew Charitable Trust survey, uh-huh. uh, believe in ghosts. And so I think that, again, it's underground. People might hide their belief that um, there's a presence there of somebody who passed. But through the new um, uh, ways of relating to the dead through um, memorials and um, particularly through objects created with uh, cremation remains, people are allowed to prolong or finding ways to prolong that relationship uh, with the dead. If you have um, a, uh, a little um, glass object on your um, on your desk that uh, contains the remains of a loved one, you can um, talk to them, you can look at it, you can think about them every time you, you see it. Um, uh, diamonds made out of cremated remains. Um, similarly, people will narrate um, uh, how their loved one is with them always and, and will exist for a very long time in that state. Like, Two billion years, in fact. Right, <laughs> so, right. So lifespan of a diamond. So I, it's I found, almost eternal. Yeah, I found that section of the book fascinating. People are um, having paintings created and glass art objects and tattoos and jewelry. And as you said, that's kind of this whole um, industry has really sprung up around that. Um, which I think is fascinating. And it does speak to some different relationship to our grieving and our dead. And we don't want to just go to a gravestone once a year. We want to sort of wear this pendant on our chest to feel our relationship. That seems, that seems new. Yes, that's definitely new. And it's definitely happening in the U.S. more than anywhere else. So we've swung from being the strange place on the planet that is completely devoted to the um, embalmed body and open casket to the strange place on the planet <laughs> that is uh, increasingly devoted to uh, making um, objects, per- very personal objects out of uh, cremated remains of a loved one. It, it does exist other places, but not to the ex- there's not the range of possibilities here uh, and it's not being taken up uh, as quickly and thoroughly as it is in the US. So fascinating. Well, I love in the in this kind of the ending of your book, you really talk through these different, um, you, you know, you talk through the different, sorry, I'm rustling my book here. You talk through the different stages that U.S. society has gone through. And again, we're making big generalizations because obviously there are pockets of subcultures that that do their own thing, but these movements that can be charted. And one of the first ones you chart is the change in art on gravestones. And I thought that was so interesting, just that we can see this, this difference. And I love you end up by saying you, that you look, prefer archaeology's long view, that cultural change is itself an expression of the cycle of life. And I think that's what you're naming in this book is how these changes and how we care for the dead body and what we do with the dead body are an expression of changing culture. And, you know, as, as you said, capturing this in a book is so tricky because it's changing even as you're writing the book. So I love that you um, took the time and the scholarly effort and research to um, study this because I think it's a little different than the layer where we just hear what's happening. We hear about aquamation or we hear about green burial or we hear about somebody who got a tattoo of a beloved friend who died but you're talking about the movement underneath it and behind it and what that says about our society. 
what what final thing would you want to add for our listeners and then we'll we'll stop um i guess i did have a um there's a, a small part of me who um wanted um the, to offer this book to anybody who's had a loss or is struggling to figure out what to do um, uh, with prospects of their own death, of, of loved ones, um, or one that recently experienced, um, to get comfortable with death. Um, and I think this this discomfort, you know, I, actually I have a difficult time sometimes responding to um, a common kind of expressions of grief. For example, um, my dean uh, regularly sends out uh, emails about emeritus professors in their 80s, 90s, 100s. And she starts it off by saying, um, I'm writing to share the very sad news, dot, 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 dot. Well, if I don't pass away, uh, uh, any actually, if I pass away any time over 70, um, I will, wherever I am, be grateful for the life I had. And I think it's going to take a lot of work for people to understand that death is not an evil. And how, you know, this, we got to this point, uh, and part of it is a secular society, um, turning away from uh, religions where death was just a transition. Um, and although I'm not religious myself, I do think that this is a, a much healthier relationship to the planet and to one another to understand death as a transition, whatever that means to you. It's a transition. It's not an ending. It's it is temporarily a tragedy in terms of the loss of a relationship to someone you love. But life goes on and comes back and it recycles in many different ways. Um, and you don't have to believe in uh, a traditional uh, reincarnation to realize that, um, that life itself is a cycle. Beautiful, beautiful, so well put. Life itself is a cycle and how do we um, read books like yours or have conversations like I try to create that, that just open up that discussion so that it doesn't feel so heavy and other you know, I always think about people feel like death is this like falling off a cliff other. And as you said, it's everywhere. It's constant. It's a cycle. Well, thank you so much, Shannon. I enjoyed our conversation so much. And again, her book is American Afterlives, Reinventing Death in the 21st Century. And um, I'll add your website at the end. Thanks so much, Shannon. Thank you, Diane. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for joining me today on the Best Life, Best Death podcast. You can find out more about the work I do at bestlifebestdeath.com. And you can find out more about Shannon Lee Dottie at her website, Shannon Lee, L-E-E, Dottie, D-A-W-D-Y.com. Again, she's the author of American Afterlives. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.